0: On this pre-Thanksgiving weekend, I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and you are listening to the place where we talk about faith as absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God, because we're convinced that faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. That's not a perfect definition. That's not an all-inclusive definition, but it's a good one to start with, absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And we help each other here to develop that kind of confidence because we want to trust god we don't want to doubt or wonder where is god what is he up to we want to help ourselves understand who god is who we are and why we can trust him and here we are on thanksgiving season or the week before weekend before thanksgiving probably a lot of people are thinking about thanksgiving probably a lot of people have travel plans i read recently that going to be a lot of traveling in my home state of florida i guess there's probably going to be a lot of traveling other places i know some family members in my own family that are going to be traveling i know some that aren't going to be traveling we're not going to be this year maybe you are you probably have plans for how you're going to celebrate thanksgiving we do and you probably do and you're probably thinking about preparations for all of that and all of that's good. And all of that should remind us to be thankful, not just to have a special day, but to actually genuinely think about the things we're thankful for and give thanks. So I don't know how you think about Thanksgiving. I don't know if you're looking forward to it. I don't know if you dread it a little bit because of some family dynamics or things like that. But when you go to whatever you're going to attend, your family dinner or whatever, if you will remember to lead with love because God invites us, expects us, to love him with all we've got, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So lead with love, and I think that'll help you be more thankful. If you think about being thankful instead of the things that you're anxious about, that'll help too. So whatever Thanksgiving is to you, prepare your heart for that. Now sometimes, and I heard this some years ago, I thought this is remarkably amusing, uh, people said, well, Thanksgiving is the day we eat too much, and watch the detroit lions lose a football game well i don't know about that Uh, i don't i don't mean to be too ouch on detroit lions fans it has been a while since they've been winning a lot of games but there's hope and just let not your heart be troubled and we're going to get to that in a little bit too let not your heart be troubled because i've always been rooting for the detroit lions to win i have some connections family connections in michigan so I'll be hoping they win this Thanksgiving, but I realize the tradition may live on, and that's okay. So how do you think about Thanksgiving? Well, some people think about it as a great family time. I was really kind of surprised when I heard people mention some years ago that they thought Thanksgiving was becoming a more significant family time than Christmas, that they noticed people were getting together more at Thanksgiving and seemed to be valuing that time more than they did Gathering together at Christmas time. I thought that was an interesting change in things. I don't know if it's true where you live, but here in Florida, our school district seems to have acknowledged that people are going to travel for Thanksgiving. And now our students are off the whole week of Thanksgiving. Used to be when I was a kid, we'd go to school right up until Wednesday, but not so anymore. And apparently that's a response to people valuing that time. So as you think about Thanksgiving, I want to give you a few ideas that help encourage being thankful. To remind us of a, of a perspective that's characterized by gratitude. Now I know we all have things in our lives. In fact, I guess I hope you have things in your lives that you still want to see happen. Things that you're striving for, ambitions to accomplish. That's what moves us forward, isn't it? We don't want to get stuck in a rut where... One day is the same and we have nothing to live for. So I hope you're still working towards something and, and maybe you have some things that are disappointing because you haven't gotten there yet. Those are the kind of things that propel us forward, but they shouldn't be the kinds of things that keep us from giving thanks. Maybe you have some real significant challenges in your life. I mean, real hardships. Well, are hardships an excuse for not giving thanks? I think that's a fair question. we need to wrestle with some of those kind of things. And I want us to think about Thanksgiving just for a few minutes before we get into some other things, particularly in John chapter 14, and revisit a little bit of what we talked about last week by way of expanding it a little bit, maybe just reminding ourselves about it. But Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. One of the things that I learned a while back is that it's not possible to be anxious and grateful at the same time. Let that one sink in. It's not possible to be anxious and grateful at the same time. One of the sad things that I've noticed about life these days is that many people are anxious. Now, I use that word on purpose. Some of those people are just plain worried about everything. But they don't like that idea of worried. Maybe you don't like it either because you've heard that you shouldn't worry. So I've kind of pivoted to the word anxious we're just a little uneasy about too many things maybe the state of the world makes you anxious you hear about wars and other kinds of conflicts and so anxiety springs up inside you maybe inflation has caused you to be anxious well that's understandable it's a pressing difficulty right now very pressing difficulty maybe you're anxious because you've got travel plans this week and that invo- involves driving a few hundred miles and and you just realize it's going to cost a lot more to get there and back because gasoline's more expensive. Whatever the anxiety might be, sometimes it's anxiety over things that are that are going on between people. Sometimes it's anxiety about situations at work. But for the next few days, what if you concentrated on being grateful and put anxiety aside. Now, I'll be honest with you. I have seen Pretty sure I'm right about this. Some people who love being anxious. They're always looking at something and saying, Oh me, oh my. Well, this is for you. Just lay that stuff down and be grateful. I don't believe God created us to carry anxiety around with us. And if we can be grateful, even for this season of a few days, starting today, Continuing through this week, if we could just be grateful and put aside those anxious concerns, how might it change our perspective? And I want to encourage you to do that. Whenever you notice yourself becoming anxious, I want you to just kind of lay that down. I want you to realize that even if that thing you're anxious about happens, it's probably not going to be the end of the world. How can I say that? Well, because I've lived life a few years. And I've had some things that I've been anxious about, and some of them happened. And they weren't fun, all right? We can be honest, can't we? They weren't fun. I would have preferred to avoid them. But somehow, some way, I got through it. And so can you. By the grace of God, we can get through these things, and we don't have to worry about them or be anxious about them. So for this season, these next few days, would you think about being grateful? Every time you get a little anxious about something, think about being grateful. For example, if you're worried about the expensive gas for your car on this trip you're going to make, maybe what you should think about is being grateful that you have a car and gas is available. Now, that's not a denial of the problem of high gasoline prices. Don't hear me saying that. Don't, Don't jump to that conclusion. All I'm suggesting is you can't change by anything you do, the price of that gasoline. But if you start thinking about how grateful you are to God that you have a car that will get you where you need to go and you can find gasoline to put in that car so you can get where you need to go, that's worth being grateful for. So would you exchange anxiety for gratitude this season? I think you can. I hope you will. And there's another thing that people sometimes get a little... um, wondering about or kind of frustrated by they 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 start realizing that we take so many things for granted and we're not really thankful for those things well i kind of think about that differently maybe we should be thankful that we can take so many things for granted Uh, that doesn't mean we despise them in the sense that we assume things we shouldn't but you know the fact that some things just happen and we don't have to To think about them or wonder about them that's the reason to be grateful for example let me give you one that that i learned to be thankful for earlier this this year just a few weeks ago and that's electricity you know electricity is a great benefit but when we had the hurricane go through here we lost electricity for 10 days that's a challenge we managed all of us that lost electricity managed i managed you would manage if you were in that situation you wouldn't enjoy it i didn't enjoy it i don't want to do it again but i'm thankful for electricity but i'd usually take it for granted and i do now once it was restored i didn't think that much about it and there are lots of things that way in our lives we've been so blessed that there are many things we just take for granted and maybe we should just be thankful that we can take so many things for granted some parts of the world don't have clean water easily available some of them don't have water at all takes enormous effort to have water at all much less clean water well we take it for granted and i want to be thankful that there are so many things that i can take for granted by the mercies of god and the benefits that have been handed down to me from people that have gone before i can take a lot of things for granted and i'm grateful now You might be like the guy who uh, he wanted to sell his house. He was just kind of at wit's end, I guess. And so he he called a real estate agent and said, listen, I want to put my house up for sale and get rid of it as quickly as I can. I want you to do the work. I'm tired of this old place and I want you to sell it quick so that I can move on to something different. Well, the agent talked to him and said, okay, well, tell me about your your house so I can run a good advertisement, so I can tell people about it, so I can get it sold. And so the man proceeded to describe the house. He told him how many rooms it had, told him about the carpet in some of the rooms, how there were some pretty expensive shrubs he had put in the backyard that kind of added to the value, how he had planted fruit trees in the backyard. And he listed all of the things that he thought were advantages that ought to be in some kind of advertisement. For his house and he described it in some detail well they went on for a while and when he finished the agent said okay i've got all the notes here let me read it back to you and you tell me if it sounds about right the gentleman said okay i'm listening so the agent read back to him what he had said and he said that this is a beautiful three-bedroom home with two baths a good stand of grass fruit trees in the backyard a new roof central air conditioning a remodeled carport for two cars and he kept on reading until the owner finally stopped him and said hold on wait a minute wait a minute stop that house is not for sale all my life i've been wanting a place like that but i didn't realize i had one until now you see that's perspective that's attitude that's what i hope we can have as we approach Thanksgiving, as we think about the things we get frustrated about, the things we take for granted. And if you really struggle, I have a book recommendation for you, or a book title. I don't know that I'd recommend the book. I haven't seen the book. I haven't read it. I came across the title, and I thought, well, it fits some of us at Thanksgiving. So are you ready? You might want to write this down, or maybe not. But the book is The Grumbler's Guide to Giving Thanks, I love book titles sometimes you come across really clever ones and I thought that was a good one the grumblers guide to giving thanks so if all you can do is grumble maybe you need to think about the grumblers guide to giving thanks I think it's probably a helpful book it's just a catchy title well there was a pastor who had gone through difficult times really difficult times times were not easy it was the first half of the 17th century in Germany They were experiencing wars and famine, all kinds of pestilence. He lived in the city of Eilenburg. His name was Martin Rinkert. He was a pastor, and during one really difficult time, Pastor Rinkert conducted up to 50 funerals a day. Plague swept through the area. People were dying. In fact, in the year 1637, It's recorded that he conducted four thousand five hundred burial services in one year can you imagine the plague just swept through the town people were terrorized by it terrible things were happening can can you imagine pastor rinkert waking up in the morning and i don't know if he did this but you got to wonder if he did thinking to himself I wonder how many funerals I'm going to conduct today that would not be a reason that I would want to wake up in the morning I wouldn't enjoy that at all you probably wouldn't either and yes it was true that among the people that pastor Rinkert buried were members of his own family yet it's recorded that in spite of those terribly difficult years years of despair and death destruction. Every day was a repeat of despair, death, and destruction. In spite of all of that, Pastor Rinkert wrote 66 sacred songs and hymns. And among them was a song that we think about, a hymn, I should say, that we think about around Thanksgiving. In the midst of all of the sorrow and hardship, all of the loss and difficulties, Pastor Rinkert wrote, the lyrics to this hymn that we often sing at Thanksgiving and other times, in the midst of death, in the midst of sadness. Here's what he wrote. Now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices, who wondrous things hath done, in whom his world rejoices, who from our mother's arms hath blessed us on our way, with countless gifts of love and still is ours today what a great example for all of us now thank we all our God it's a great hymn I love hymns I love that one I love them for the style of music some people don't love the style I get that I love the style of music of the great hymns and I love that now thank we all our God that's thanksgiving. You see, he he demonstrated a valuable lesson for us. This is probably what will help us as much as anything. But he lived out this idea that thankfulness does not wait for prosperity and peace. You don't have to wait to be thankful until you get what you want. You will always have something else you're striving towards. That's sort of the nature of life and, and making life better. We want to make improvements here, improvements there. And we don't have to wait to be thankful until we get all of the things that are on our mind accomplished. It's always a good time to sit back and reflect and to thank God for the wondrous things he has done. And if we can do that, we won't be anxious. We won't be afraid. We won't be troubled. We will be at peace because we recognize that God is with us and we have much for which to be thankful. So I want to encourage you on this Thanksgiving weekend to start now, start today, and start adjusting your mindset toward Thanksgiving. You won't be sorry, and just maybe Thanksgiving will continue a little longer than a meal and a football game. Well, let's take some time now to pivot to one of the subjects that I think is really important in these days, and and I'll talk about that a little bit more when we get to 10 things. If I get to that today, I've made a list of 10 things, and hopefully I can get through all of the stuff that I have on my mind. But I want us to go to John chapter 14 and kind of pick up on some of the thoughts that we talked about last week and, and reinforce them and remind ourselves about them. In John chapter 14 is the verse that I really like and think about a lot where Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And I want to look at that verse and those thoughts in the first paragraph of John chapter 14 today to kind of keep us thinking about the important things that Jesus said here so that we don't get distracted and dismayed and off track as we stretch toward jesus as we stretch in god's direction as we try to develop and reinforce absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of god so let me read from john chapter 14 starting at verse 1 through verse 7 i'm reading from the new revised standard version the what they call updated edition that means they've gone through and and worked on the language and the translation to make it as good as they can so that we can understand it well And I've been using that to try to get acquainted with this translation. I haven't used it much in the past, but that's why I'm using it now. And again, if we get to 10 things, I'll talk some more about translations in just a minute. But anyway, back to John chapter 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Oh, that sounds like something somebody said earlier today, doesn't it? That you can't be anxious and grateful at the same time. There you go. Okay, keep going. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So I focused on that simple verse that we repeat often where Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. But I thought we ought to look a little bit more at the context of this, because context often tells us something helpful. And there are some other important principles and ideas from this passage, like the first one that I mentioned, do not let your hearts be troubled. It's interesting that it says, do not let your hearts, which means it's not something you have to cave into. It's a choice. Do not let your heart be troubled. Don't give in to that kind of stuff. You don't have to. And a good way to help that is to focus on gratitude because you can't be troubled and grateful. In fact, here's another idea that I think is so useful. It's helped me. When you find yourself concerned about something and you're praying about it, why not say to God, thank you that you are more concerned about this situation and this person that I am that you love them more than I do, even though I can't figure out how that is. And I thank you that you've got this taken care of. And whatever happens, I can trust you. Whatever happens, I'm going to be faithful to you because I know you love me and I know you love the people involved in this situation. And I refuse to be anxious about it because I have absolute confidence in your trustworthiness. Verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. See, we can pray that way and still let God our concern, but we shape our prayers into thanksgiving, into praise, into a recognition that God is on the job, shall we say. God is on the throne. He knows what's going on, and he'll take care of it. So there's a little bit more to Jesus' statement here. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So he's connecting himself to God, very important connection in these few verses, very important in my father's house there are many places if it were not so i would have told you that i go and prepare a place for you well so jesus says in some translations talk about many mansions and he's really making the case that would i tell you there's a place for you and that i'm going to go prepare that place if there wasn't a place for you and and so you need to relax in that now i, I know a lot of people have um, made a lot out of the word mansion because that was in some of the older english translations but when that word mansion was used the context of, of meaning of mansion in those days was a house. It wasn't what we think of as a big palatial kind of dwelling place. So Jesus is saying, uh, there are places, dwelling places for you. There's a house for you, if you will. And he's going to prepare it for us. And And if he goes and gets it ready, then he's going to come and take us there to live with him forever. Because he wants us to be where he is. That's the promise in general terms that we talk about when we say heaven that God is preparing a place for us. Jesus will come one day and gather us to heaven. Now, Jesus kind of ends that little statement there before Thomas jumps in when he says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Uh, That's really interesting because apparently Jesus thinks they know the way. Apparently he expected them to know the way. But Thomas jumps in and says, hold on a minute, Lord. We do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Well, that's true, isn't it? If you don't know where someone is, you can't find the way there. So Thomas is just kind of saying, "Um, help us out here, Jesus. And so Jesus does. Jesus says, and he answers in a little different way, you know. Um, He answers in a way that we don't expect. But he still gives an answer that we need to inspect and understand. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the Father except through me if you know me you will know my father also from now on you do know him and have seen him so Jesus is putting the focus now on himself and importantly so and necessarily so so when Thomas says Lord we do not know where you are going how can we know the way Jesus says I am the way all right so now what does he mean by that now what's going on here is the the implied understanding I get maybe it's more than implied but we we all kind of get this that the goal of life is to get to heaven and we use that rather generally but I think you understand what we're talking about The, the idea is to be with God forever and he talks in that language a little bit here too, more specifically And the idea that people want to go to heaven seems to originate in the Bible. The implied goal is going to heaven now. The implied goal here, as Jesus more specifically says it, is to get to the Father, is to be with the Father. Now, when it talks about I'm the way, we need to recognize that a lot of people these days, they wonder about the way to heaven. Is Jesus the only way to heaven? Now, importantly... They seem to recognize that heaven is a worthwhile goal and the goal of one day getting to heaven. But they ask the question and and they kind of get a little nervous about why is Jesus the only way to heaven? You know, aren't there many paths to God? Aren't there many religious understandings? And, And I don't know always why people ask that question but sometimes I think it's an attempt to validate other religions because they don't like the idea of saying to someone else, your religion is not valid. It's not going to get you to heaven. Or it could be, and sometimes I wonder if it's this, that people, they really don't want to follow God's requirements. You know, God says we need to live righteous lives and maybe they don't want to follow the Bible's righteous requirements. Well, that would be a, reason that someone might say aren't there more than one way to get to heaven but jesus says i am the way i am the truth i am the life so jesus tells us i am the way to get to heaven or to the father well why would he say that why would he say he's the way he's the guide he's the map why would he say he's the way and you can only get to god by following him well i I think it's fairly obvious that there is a singular problem that separates people from god if you think about relationship with god in covenant terms and that goes all the way back to abraham early in the story of god and his people if you think about it in covenant terms then The separation from God, when God came to Abraham, I want to be your covenant partner, the separation takes place when we, like Abraham, decide we don't want to follow what God says. Now, Abraham followed God. I'm not implying that he didn't, but like Abraham's people, maybe I should say. The separation from God comes when we don't live up to our expectations, our requirements in the covenant. And so we're separated from God. And so once that takes place, the Bible explains that the penalty for that, for violating the terms of a covenant, and that was true for lots of people who made covenants, that when they would violate the terms of the covenant, they agreed that the penalty of that was death. So when Abraham and God established covenant, they agreed the penalty was death. And all through the story of the Bible, God lived up to his responsibilities and people, we didn't. In fact, the Bible says we've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. So sin, violation of the covenant, has separated us from God. And so there needs to be a way to reestablish that path to God, that relationship with God. Because once the covenant has been broken, then is there a way to restore that relationship? Because if the penalty is death, that's a pretty permanent pretty permanent divide. And so now we have to ask, okay, what is it that Jesus did that made him the way to resolve that problem? What is it that Jesus did that solved the separation from God that results from sin? Well, I want us to talk about that. I want us to think about that. And I want you to think about that while we take this little break. How do we resolve that problem? and we all have a sense we've done wrong at least all of us who are honest with ourselves how do we resolve that fracture that separation from god well i'm pastor rick stevens and we'll talk about that when we come back in just a moment stay with us we know you love the versatility and portability of the genesis fogger but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it well Spry can be found online and at all fine natural retailers. Welcome back. You're listening to Faith Is, and I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and this is the place where we develop absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. He is trustworthy, and we want to learn to trust Him. Sometimes that takes a little learning, and we want to help ourselves in that direction. I'm the pastor of a local church in Florida, Cape Coral, Florida, Diplomat Wesleyan Church. And we bring you these programs in an effort to help you develop the confidence that we want to develop. Little by little, day by day, we want to strengthen our confidence in God. And when we lean into that and when we move in God's direction, what do we discover? We discover that we are developing absolute confidence in God's trustworthiness. Now, before the break, we were talking about the verse that jesus said in john chapter 14 it's verse 6 i am the way and the truth and the life we talked a little bit about how people want to talk about the the various ways to god and they they want to suggest and argue for multiple paths to god well, jesus said i am the way he didn't give an option that there are many ways to god he gave us one way Now, some of the confusion happens when people conceive of God differently than what the Bible does. Some of the confusion happens when people just don't want to have to accept the God that's revealed in the Bible. Some of the confusion happens when people say, well, I don't like telling other people that their religion won't get them to heaven, won't get them to God. And some people say, well, I don't really want to have to follow the Bible's requirements to get to God. I want to do what I want to do and still get there. Well, it could be a bunch of reasons that people resist that. But I ask the question, what is the problem that Jesus solves that makes him the way to God? We talked about covenant terms. We talked about how when we violate the terms of the covenant, and it goes back all the way to the example of God and Abraham, we discover that violating the terms of a covenant results in or makes a person subject to death. And here's where Jesus stepped into things. He stepped in because he was born and became like us. And he stepped into our world and our situation to become for us sin, to take on himself all of the ways we have violated the covenant with God. And he took on those himself and took them to the cross and died. He paid the penalty. And so Jesus says, I'm the way because I Paid the penalty. I offer you forgiveness because I'm the one who can offer you forgiveness because I took your sin on myself. And it makes him the way to God. So the the problem that Jesus solves and the reason that he is the way to God is, is rooted in this covenant idea and then reflected in the fact that Jesus came as a person like us, did not sin. And so as our representative, as one of us, he became sin for us and paid that penalty. So that's why he's the way. And that's a reason to give thanks, don't you think? Wow, he made a way for us to get to God. He also says that he's the truth. And that's a pretty basic understanding. The truth in, in that word there in the scriptures really refers to what you think of as the truth, that which is real, right? Uh, as opposed to that which is false or a lie he's talking about the truth and one of the things that that helps me think about christian faith and and to develop confidence in god is to ask myself does what the bible tells me reflect reality that's truth you can equate this idea of truth with the idea of reality reality does the bible match up to reality when i look around at the world well, the Bible says people have sinned. As there's sin going on around the world? Oh, plenty of it. The Bible talks about how people have enmity toward one another. Are people enemies all, all around the world? There, there's all of the things that the Bible talks about easily identifiable in the world around us, including people who have been forgiven and have entered into right relationship with God. And so the reality that they found by following Jesus as the way to God is reflected in. And so Jesus says, I'm the truth, because I tell you the truth, I live out the truth, my life, my teaching, my death, burial, and resurrection, everything about me corresponds to reality, and you can trust me. So Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, occasionally I've heard people say, can't remember if anybody's actually said it to me personally it's possible I just don't remember that they will say something like this well I tried Christianity and it didn't work for me well I just I just have to shake my head at that because what I know is that they were expecting something that the Bible never promised Jesus said I'm the way to have your sins forgiven I'm the truth you can trust me to tell you the truth to live the truth to help you understand reality as it really is and then he says I'm the life Well, what that means is that we experience life when we trust him when we find that our sins are forgiven and the relationship is restored and we find the life when we begin to pattern our life after what the bible tells us to do when we resist that we don't find life because we're resisting following jesus and he is the way so him being the way means we keep following him because he's going to lead us home. And that means we conform our life to the teachings of the Bible. And when we do that, that's when we experience the life God has always intended us to live. Very interesting how we make those mistakes. We, re- we forget that Jesus is the solution to the sin problem. We forget, or maybe never even thought of it this way, that, that when he says he's the truth, it means he corresponds to reality and we especially forget that life results from our decisions to day by day grow in our faithfulness to him and more sometimes than others but small steps and big we develop a life and live a life that reflects the teachings of the bible and when we do that we discover life as it was meant to be lived And the Spirit of God changes us as we follow Him. And in one place, the Bible talks about how from glory to glory, He's changing us. Well, what that means is our life gets better as He changes us. And we need to let Him do that. I thought we needed to revisit that so we can kind of get a grasp of what is really going on in the Bible's story and the importance of Jesus and what He's doing. And it's also very important to understand That if you want to understand what Jesus says about getting to the Father, you need to understand Jesus. Because he says quite clearly that if you know me, you will know my Father. So he equates himself to God. So if you wonder, what is God like? Look at Jesus. If you come up against something that you think, uh, surely God's not like this. Look at Jesus. Can you find that in the life of Jesus? And we can. And I encourage you to do that. All right, well, I said we'd take some time, and I think we're going to get there. So why don't we take some time to talk about 10 things. A lot of things go on in the world, and I think about a lot of things. And maybe some of my thoughts will help you as you process life today. Maybe some of the things that I think about will prompt you to to have a better perspective on things. And so that's why I've kind of look at these 10 things as a little bit of time for us to just talk about what really matters and and make some connections about things and and maybe something that doesn't merit a long discussion we can touch on it and help each other so 10 things i've been thinking this week and and this one really i i all of a sudden i realized i'd come to this conclusion i hardly hardly did it consciously it was just like all at once it dawned on me and that's the first of my 10 things: that truth is the issue for the church today. Truth is the issue for the church today. A commitment to the truth, applying to the truth or applying the truth to everyday life matters so much. We too often want to have things the way we want them. And we in the church, the people of God, must make truth the issue of our day. We must expect people to tell the truth. We must expect them to tell us the truth. We must tell the truth. We must understand life in terms of the realities around us, not the way we want it to be. We have to have a commitment to the truth. I don't think it's that hard, but I think we need to remind ourselves that truth matters. And for the church, it's our great gift to the world around us is the truth, because we talk about it regularly the bible tells us that when we know the teachings of jesus we'll know the truth and the truth will set us free the church needs to have needs to make sure that it focuses on and always tells the truth not what we want to hear but tell us the truth second thing is related to that we the people of god the church must not accept lying for any reason in any area of life. Now, I know you're not going to change everybody and you're not going to make them tell you the truth. I can't do that in my situation either. But I'm convinced and convicted that I'm not going to accept lying for any reason. And when I discover that people have lied to me, I don't want to forget that they have. Now, that doesn't mean I hold a grudge against them. Don't don't hear me saying that. No, it's not me to hold a grudge i can forgive them for lying but i want to remember that they did so that the next time i'm alert to what they have to say and if i have the opportunity and i'm not sure that i always will i might in a few cases if i have the opportunity to correct the lie or to remind people about how important it is to tell the truth i want to do that you see It's a hard conversation to think about, and I haven't had that conversation. don't know if I ever will, but you can pray that God will give me grace to say the words in the right way. But there are some people that I know that have outright lied to people. There's no other way to describe it. And they did it intentionally, purposefully. And it irritates the daylights out of me. But that's not... The reason I should focus on that, my being irritated, is kind of beside the point. But what I know is that the Bible is very clear about God's view of all liars. You look at the next-to-last chapter in the book of Revelation, and all liars are mixed in with a whole bunch of other very unsavory behaviors. And I know the people that have purposefully, straight-up lied... Are in peril of their soul. And we, the people of God, must not accept lying and look past it. We don't hold grudges. That's the Lord's business to take care of. But sometimes it might be your responsibility and mine to say to people, Did you know that you lied intentionally, purposefully, and because of that? your soul is imperiled, and you need to go to God and request forgiveness and make that lie right. It really does matter. It really does. Number three, 10 things I think. (laughs) I think there's a lot of things I'd like to talk about that I really can't talk about. Have you noticed the need these days, and probably it's always been that way, for a filter? Have you noticed how important it is that everything that comes to your mind doesn't come out? and people hear it. And I've been conscious of that, that I need to be careful. And and maybe we all need to be careful that there's some things I just shouldn't talk about. There are thoughts that I think that I shouldn't be sharing with anyone. There are concerns that I have or observations that I make. I just realize there's things that I notice that I can't talk about. There are some things that I can. And and as a pastor, I have a responsibility to be corrective in that way. But there are just a lot of things that I just have to to notice and go on and maybe that idea will help you Uh, i've noticed there are some people that everything they think comes out their mouth Uh, you may have a friend that way i don't think they realize it They, they don't know how to help themselves sometimes but i want to realize that i've got to be careful and i can't i can't talk about everything i think about uh 10 things i think number four this is a totally different subject but I kind of learned this lesson because of the hurricane and the aftermath of that, but it's pretty straightforward and it's just a life suggestion to you and a realization of, of the real, reality we live in. It's developed in the last, well, 25 years probably, but we are so dependent on the internet and too many people do not realize it. Now I started saying, oh, quite a number of years ago, maybe 10 now to people you need to start learning a little bit about how this works you need to start today well a lot of people just they don't care what I said or what I thought they just want to ignore it well I understand that they've said to me in so many words well I've lived my life this long got along fine without it I guess I can live the rest of my life and get along fine without it well I'm not so sure but that's your decision but let me say, if you've been struggling with learning about it, sure, you'll hear all the kind of things about how detrimental one thing is or another, social media this, websites that, I get all that. But there's a lot of benefits to it. And, and I want to encourage you to learn today. Just start. It's never been easier. You're not going to mess up your device or anything like that. Just just learn. Get over being embarrassed. Maybe you're X number of years old and you don't know about this and so it makes you feel really dumb well let me give you just an idea ask a fifth grader to teach you you know kids are in class all the time being taught and sometimes i think they just love the opportunity to share what they know with someone else now they may not know everything you need to know about email or browsing the web or anything like that but if you're totally unacquainted with that stuff make an effort. You won't be sorry. And if you don't learn, you're going to be dependent on people someday, probably in a way you won't like. So don't be embarrassed. Find a fifth grader, ask them to teach you. They will love doing it if you find the right fifth grader. Fifth thing I think is that there's never been a time more urgent for us to read and absorb the Bible or or listen to, to the Bible and absorb it. When I say read, I always want to, remind myself and everybody else that i mean listen as well Uh, in new testament times people couldn't read so they had to listen to god's word so you can listen or read the bible and absorb it it's not about how much time you take it's about how much of the bible gets between your ears and into your heart i've said many times find a translation that you like and understand if the message speaks to you read the message if the new living translation suits you read that one i think it's a very good one very readable if the new international version suits you read that one if the christian standard bible suits you read that one if the new revised standard version suits you read that one but find a bible spend some time and absorb its teachings let it speak to you it's a great benefit if you don't know where to start ask a friend they will probably tell you the gospel of john if you ask me i'll tell you the gospel of mark Mark is shorter. It's all about Jesus and what He did. I just like it a lot better. John has a lot of good things in it. Nothing against it, but I say start with Mark. If You don't want to start with Mark, read the Psalms, boy, that'll challenge you and stretch you too. The other thing is, the sixth thing I think is that you know you really can start a Bible study. Now when I say read and absorb the Bible, I mean that, but you know, When you start a conversation with God and a few friends about the Bible, what we call a Bible study or a conversational Bible study, you often will learn so much more than you get out of it on your own. It is just remarkable what that does and how your friends helping each other think about and process the Bible gets into our heads and into our hearts better than we realize. And I would encourage you to do that. I wish I was right there with you right now. I could help you learn how to do that. It's not complicated. It's really a conversation with God and a few friends about the Bible. And yes, we invite God to help us understand and then we talk about what does the Bible say? What does it mean? What does it call us to do? how do we respond to it? That's the idea. Number seven, I think the church has a serious responsibility in our times. A serious responsibility prophetically I guess I would call it and what I mean by that is to say to the people thus saith the Lord we have seen increasing evidence across our nation that people are ignoring what the Bible says and not following God in the way he spells it out the most clarifying example of that to me has been the number of states who have voted to approve abortion. God says children are a blessing. People say, but having a baby might mess up that mother's life. Give me a break. A blessing is a blessing, and a child is a blessing. People misbehave and get themselves in situations where they're responsible for a baby. That's a different conversation, but that child will be a blessing. And I keep asking myself, in what universe is it a moral good to kill a baby? And there isn't one. In what moral situation is it right to kill another human being? No. God's pretty clear. Thou shalt not kill. I think number eight, that churches have to get over this idea of separation of church and state because it tends to marginalize the voice of God in public conversation. When we buy into the idea that the church and the state have to be separate, then the church tends to be silent and not speak truth to the state. We used to have, and we still have a little bit, this concept of speaking truth to power. That's the church. The church speaks the truth to the powers of this world. And we have to get over this idea of separation. That is not what the separation concept meant ever in our history. It's a distortion of what that was about. That was all about the government not bothering the church not the church informing the government of its moral responsibilities and of speaking up for god and for god's ways church has to get over that number nine speaking of the church have i mentioned for a while maybe not but here i go again find a church and get involved don't look for the church that's closest to you that's what people used to do find the church in your area that's closest to the bible and then get involved attend regularly support that church be a part of it you know i I heard a a pastor say recently i thought it was really a good idea he asked people have you ever had a bad meal really have you ever had an experience where the meal just wasn't that good well as a result of that experience did you quit eating well see people sometimes want to say well i've had a bad experience with church Well, if you've had a bad experience with food, and I bet every one of us has tasted something we didn't like, but we didn't quit eating. Maybe you've had a bad experience. Well, press on. You didn't quit eating. Don't quit on God and the church. You ever tried something new that you didn't like, but you had to learn to like it? And over time, you developed a taste for it? When I first started drinking coffee, I drank a lot of bad coffee. I want you to know terrible stuff. But I wanted to hang out with the guys that were coffee drinkers, and so I pressed on. Now I enjoy coffee, good coffee. And number 10, things I think. I think I'm really thankful for a church that encourages and expects me as their pastor to tell the truth from the Bible. And my thanksgiving goes to you, too, because I'm thankful for for people who will take some time to hear from God and hear what God might be saying through somebody simple like me. I'm really grateful to have the opportunity to try to help people. I don't know why he did it. I can't imagine why he would use me. But in some way, by God's design and purpose, he has given me the ability to look at the Bible and help people understand it. And I'm thankful that I have a church that really wants to understand what God says. And I'm thankful for you that listen week after week. Try to grow with me toward absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. It means a lot, and I appreciate you being here. And by the way, if it means something to you, don't, don't be shy. Share the idea with a friend. Share what you hear me say if it resonates with you, and share it as though you thought it up. I don't mind. You don't have to give me credit. God gives us all the things just share it with somebody. Share the program with somebody if you like. Maybe they'd like to listen to. Years ago, what feels like a different lifetime, I was a minister of music. That's what we called it then. It was a very different role. We called roughly the equivalent role in churches today to worship leader. But I was a minister of music and choirs were my thing. I loved conducting choirs. Still do, although I'm not probably very good at it anymore because I haven't done it for years and years. But years ago, there was an anthem that choirs would sing sometimes, and I really liked it. It caught my attention, and I liked the way the musical setting was, and I'd listen to the recordings of it, and it was all about thanksgiving and giving thanks, and it talked about how God had done this, and God had done that, God had done the other thing, and it built to this great crescendo toward the end of the anthem, and the choir would sing, and it was just wonderful, and it, w- and it ended with these words, you've given us so much. Give us one thing more. And the way the song, the anthem built up, it was kind of like, what do you mean? You've been thankful. Now you want one more thing from God. And it said, give us one thing more, a grateful heart. And I've never forgotten that all these years later. It's been more than 25 years since I've been around that anthem, thought anything much about it. Except at Thanksgiving, I'm always reminded, God, give us one more thing. Give us a grateful heart. May God give you the kind of heart that is grateful and not anxious. May God give you the kind of Thanksgiving experience that reminds you of all of his blessings. And may God richly bless you now and always. And until we talk next week, go with God. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens.